You can open your Bible to Proverbs 13, continuing our, our series in this wonderful book. Now, last, uh, later this week, uh, there's a book that's being released that I'm sure will receive wide acclaim and be all over whatever bestseller lists there are out there for books. And the book is titled this, Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. Uh, it's, the reason I think that this book will get wide acclaim is because it's co-authored uh, by a man named Arthur C. Brooks. He's a well-known professor at Harvard who teaches classes on happiness and leadership, and he hosts the How to Build a Happy Life podcast. And the other author is Oprah Winfrey. The book says it draws on cutting-edge science and the author's experience of helping others to show how to improve your life right now, immediately. They will show you how you can take, this is a quote, you can take control of your present and future rather than hoping and waiting for your circumstances to improve. Build the life you want is your blueprint for a better life. While I'm sure there are helpful things that one might learn from this book, I, I bring up this book just as a representative of hundreds and thousands of other books and blogs and podcasts and influencers and whatever else who hold out much the same hope, promising a better life if we but read or listen. Now this book also, more explicitly than some other things I might have highlighted, speaks to our built-in desire to want a good life. Who doesn't want a blueprint for a better life? You could have it right now, immediately. These are things you can do now, today. Everybody has that desire. We want to get happier, we want to flourish, we want satisfaction. Now with all that said, I want to encourage you to save your $24 this week and instead read the Bible. And more specifically, you can read the book of Proverbs because in this book is all that we need for life. All that we need to live the good life is contained in this book. All that we need to flourish is contained right here. At our core, we are people that are made up of, of desires and longings. And these, these desires, they, they really give shape to our lives. We have hungry hearts. I mean, think of a heart and think of it being hungry. That's what we have. Hungry hearts that yearn to be satisfied. We want to be satisfied with the food that we eat. We want to be satisfied with the relationships that we have, with the things that we do, the experiences that we seek. The good news for us today is that these desires are not accidental to who we are. This is exactly how God made us. He has put longings and desires in our hearts. He has given us this longing for satisfaction. And when He speaks to us in His Word, He gives us direction on how to be satisfied. And this is really the concern that's at the heart of our text today. The book of Proverbs, and Proverbs 13 specifically, comes to us to address our appetites uh, by holding out to us the satisfying goodness of wisdom. Now, over the last few months, we've seen how the wisdom of Proverbs is not just about knowing stuff. It's not about just accumulating information like a, uh, any AI bot might do, but in living a certain way desiring certain things. It's living in right relationship with God, with the world, and with others. Wisdom is relational. And we might define wisdom by saying that wisdom is living in harmony with God's good order. 
Wisdom is living in harmony with good, God's good order. God created all things. He upholds all things and he rules all things. And wisdom says that flourishing, that the good life is found in living life as God made it to be. Living life as God intends it. Wisdom then is living in harmony with God's good order. Now to live according to God's good order is to live according to truth. And so as we make our way through our text today, we're going to structure it around true knowledge. True, true knowledge uh, that God wants us to know about our bodies, about riches, and about our future. Those are kind of the three sections that we're going to work through as we look at our text together. So first, true knowledge about our bodies. This is verses 1 through 6. And before we read those verses, uh, from an early age, we're all learning about how our bodies work. We help babies identify their hands and their feet and their, their eyes and their ears and their mouth. We sing songs about our heads and shoulders, knees and toes. We go to high school and college and we learn about skeletal and muscular structures. But there is a particular anatomy that Proverbs presents to us that's missed in these classes. Uh, follow along with me as I read from Proverbs 13, verses 1 through 6. This is the Word of God. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Verse 6, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Now what I am arguing here is that these verses give us a glimpse of the anatomy of Proverbs, really the anatomy of the Bible. What, what, how should we think about how our bodies work? Well, our ears, what we hear or don't hear, they're connected to our mouths, what we say or don't say. Verse 1 tells us that the wise son is one who, what does he do? He listens. But a scoffer or a fool, they're one who does not listen. And then verse 2 adds to this, saying that the fruit of one's mouth or what his mouth produces, the words that he says, allows him to eat what is good. That's a funny picture, if you think about it. So our, our, our mouth produces fruit. I can, I can wrap my brain around that. Okay, a good apple here. Look at that. Oh, a bad banana. Our mouth produces fruit. But then verse 2 says it produces that fruit, and then we eat that fruit. It's kind of a strange picture, right? But verse 2 is telling us that if you want to eat good fruit, then speak what is good. And if you want to speak what is good... Listen to instruction. Our ears are connected to our mouths. But speech is not only about what we say. It is about what we say, but not only about what we say. It's also about what we keep in, what we don't let come out. And so verse 3 tells us to, to guard our mouth. Last night we had uh, Engaging God's Word, which is our, our middle school and high school students and their parents gather together and we share a meal and then we actually read the text that is going to be preached on the next day and talk about it. And Christine gave me this idea of having groups of kids 
act out different ver verses from Proverbs 13. And so I had all the groups broken up and I gave them randomly a verse. And so the group that did uh, this verse, they were handed verse three. No, not, yeah, verse three, yeah. Verse three, three fine young men. Two of them with the last name Coughlin, Corey and Knox, and Caleb Loftness. They were a group, and they demonstrated this verse. They had Caleb in the middle and Corey Knox next to him, and Corey had his mouth covered, and Knox had his mouth wide open, wide open lips, and Caleb declared the winner, and it was Corey because he had his mouth guarded. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We are to be those who have closed mouths and open ears. Closed mouths and open ears. And Solomon wants us to know that this will require faithful effort on our part, a diligence on our part. It's something that we can't just say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. We actually have to do something about it and do something about it on a consistent basis. We are to pursue it every day. And the good news is this, Proverbs 13.4 tells us that the soul that is diligent will be richly supplied. They will have what they need and they will have it in full. Now I think it's important for us to note that after speaking of, of listening and speaking, our, our ears connected to our mouth, Solomon goes to contrasting righteousness and wickedness. Look again at verse 5. The righteous hates falsehood. But the wicked brings shame and disgrace. The wise son who listens, who speaks what is good and, and guards his mouth, is also one who hates lies and speaks truth. He doesn't just know what to say and what not to say. He's righteous. And this movement from, from listening and speaking to righteousness is actually the same movement that James makes in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20 that we'll hear at some point in the not-too-distant future. He writes this, Know this, my beloved brothers. See if this sounds familiar. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Open ears, close mouths. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice James even uses that language of fruit in these verses. The anger of man does not produce that which is right and good, which is the righteousness of God. And so what does James call us to do? The same thing that Proverbs 13 calls us to. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Or as Proverbs might say, listen to your father's instruction. When reproof and rebu rebuke come, something is being planted in you. A seed is being sown, an investment is being made. And if you receive it with meekness, when you receive it with humility, it will produce fruit, the fruit of righteousness and salvation. And this really brings us to the thread that runs through the heart of Proverbs 13 and, and much of the book of Proverbs. There's more that we can say about the anatomy of the human body according to Proverbs. Proverbs teaches us not only that our ears and our mouths are connected, but that these are also connected to our hearts, to that which we desire. The difference between the wise son who listens and the scoffer who does not is in what they desire. It's in what they see as good and what they see as the answer to their deepest longings. 
And we see this in a unique way in verses 2 and 3. I talked about how these verses speak to saying what is good and not saying what is bad, but Solomon contrasts the fruit of our mouth with, and guarding our mouth with the desires of the wicked. The wicked doesn't desire what is good, but violence, that which brings destruction. So he wants to tear others down, to destroy, to get even, to be mean and unkind in what he says. He opens wide his lips. But like a boomerang, the violence that he craves goes out. What does a boomerang do? Comes right back. And it will be his ruin. As verse 6 says, sin overthrows the wicked. So our, our hearts are connected to our ears and our, our mouth. The point of this anatomy lesson is this. What we desire, that which we long for, that which we think will satisfy will either be our protection or our destruction. Verse 6, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Our desire should be for righteousness, for wisdom, for the ways of God, and this will be life to us, flourishing life to us. But the world around us presents other answers to the satisfaction of our desires. Other longings that are held out to us. And primary among those longings is wealth, is money. And so this is where Solomon turns next. So we looked at true knowledge about our bodies. Next, true knowledge about riches. True knowledge about riches. And we're going to look in this section at verses 7 through 14. Now in this section, the wise teacher wants to help us have the right perspective on money especially as it relates to what will really last. You see, we live in a day where people view money as their security. They view it as the answer to maybe not all of their problems, but certainly to most of them. And so we desire money. We structure our lives around it. We plan our days around making money and spending money, and we give our time and energy to these endeavors. Because money is what we need. Money is what will last. But Proverbs has a very different perspective on money and, and accumulating riches that last. Let's look together at verses 7 through 11 first. Verse 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Verse 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 13 wants to help us reimagine how we think about wealth. And it's saying that wealth is not so much about the money that we have in the bank, but in the wisdom that we store up in our hearts. And verse 7 really speaks directly to our day, to really what I would say is the failure of the American dream. We live in a world of those who pretend to be rich, yet have nothing. Live your best life now. Drive the best cars. Wear the nicest clothes. Get your own house. Be happy. Build the life you want. But without God, is this wealth? Are these riches? It's nothing. 
In relation to God, the American dream is, is nothing but poverty. Without wisdom, you have nothing. There is no fake it till you make it. You either have it or you do not. And it's this wisdom, wealth that the world cannot see, that is the treasure hidden in a field, the pearl of great price that we give everything for. It's true wealth that the world sees as foolishness and poverty. This is wisdom. And this is the wisdom of God for salvation. The wealth that can ransom and save one's life. That's what verse 8 says. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all will be judged. We have lives that need to be saved, that need to be ransomed. We will all be condemned. But the wisdom of God for salvation, the wisdom of God for us is this. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. For though Jesus Christ was fully God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant and being found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for our sins. And now, like Paul, we are those who are treated as poor, yet making many rich. We're treated as those as having nothing, yet possessing everything. But the one who only pretended to be rich, the one who truly has nothing, he hears the rebuke of the gospel. And in his false hope, and as verse 8 says, he hears no threat. The word of the cross is folly to him. A poor man hears no threat. And his lamp will ultimately be put out. But the light of the righteous rejoices. The one who truly has nothing, again, his lamp is going to be put out. But the light of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. His is the light that has, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the great treasure that we have in jars of clay. And what must we do to obtain these great riches? to obtain this great wealth, to receive this light, to have this great treasure, what must we do? We walk in humility. We take advice. We listen to reproof. We receive the gospel. Amen. We receive Jesus Christ. This is wisdom. This is the path to life and an everlasting inheritance. The fraudulent and fake, the pretend wealth of this world is dwindling as soon as you get it. We might gain it quickly, but it will be gone in an instant. But the wisdom that we receive from God is eternal and abundant. In Jesus, we receive the immeasurable riches of God's grace. This is true wealth, wealth worth living for. In Jesus, we have an inheritance that is not dwindling, but imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for all those who put their trust and hope in him. But the hope and desire of those who think they are rich, of those who only pretend to be rich, it makes them sick. 
Verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What they long for, they never obtain. What they live for is never realized. Their hearts are only and ever restless, going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, looking for something that will really last, something they can hold on to, something that will finally and fully satisfy. They try and they try and they try, but they can't get no satisfaction. Some, some of the older people get that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The desire of the righteous, the one who has stored up true wealth little by little, will find that he has a tree of life. Rather than being sick, he has health and life. Rather than walking in darkness, he has been transferred to the kingdom of light. So how do we get this satisfaction? These fulfilled desires that become a tree of life. How do we get on these riches, get in on these riches that we cannot measure? I answered it earlier, by listening, by receiving God's word for us. Look at verses 13 and 14. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. Oh Lord, may we not despise your word. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. This is where life and riches and blessing and salvation are found. It's in the, the teaching of the wise, in the commandment of the Lord. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we must be those who listen. We must be those who diligently listen. Those who accumulate this wisdom little by little, day after day. And we don't move on from this need to listen, this need to receive. It's not listen and receive the gospel and then move on to other things. No, as, as Christians, listening and receiving is the primary disposition of our lives. It's the primary disposition of those who are wise. We aren't first people who speak. We aren't defined by what we say. We are defined by what has been said by God in his word. Some people are known by their emotion. They're described as fiery. Some people are known by their action. Oh, he's always on the move. But let the Christian be known by their listening. He receives the word. And that's one of the priorities as we gather and we seek to make clear week after week after week, we gather to listen. We gather to be listened, to listen and then be transformed. That's what we're here to do. And it's from receiving the word, from our treasuring of God's commandments, that our life and our actions flow. And this brings us to the third section. We looked at true knowledge about our bodies, true knowledge about riches, now true knowledge about our future. True knowledge about our future. Walking in wisdom, listening to reproofs, has, has definite results. It results in something. It determines our future just as not listening to wisdom determines our future. And I want to highlight just three results of walking in wisdom that I think our text puts before us. First, walking in wisdom results in other people thinking well of you. 
Look at verses 15 through 18. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Verse 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. What's in the future of those who walk in wisdom? Well, the result of, of good sense of put, uh, is that you win favor. And how does one demonstrate their good sense? Well, they act with knowledge. You put wisdom into practice. You exercise good judgment knowing what is right and wrong, what is good and bad. There's no confusion. And we live in a confused time where people don't know the difference between right and wrong, where wrong becomes right and bad becomes good. And a fool flaunts his folly. He takes pride in the perverse. He celebrates it and doesn't hold back. This will be his ruin. That's his future. He got to this place because he ignored instruction. He did not listen. And poverty and disgrace will eventually come upon him. Disgrace. People are not going to think well of him. But those who listen, those who heed reproof, those who receive correction, what's in their future? They will be honored. That's the first, first result of walking in wisdom. That people will think well of you. You will win favor. You will be honored. Second, it results in the satisfaction of your desires. Look at verses 19 through 21. Poverty and disgrace, uh, that's verse 18, sorry, verse 19. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul. But to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. These verses tell us that all that the righteous desires will be given to him. Because he desires what is good, he will be rewarded with what is good. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is His in Jesus Christ. That's the future for the righteous. It's sweet to the soul. But the opposite is true of the fool's future. They see it as stupid to turn away from sin. They don't just see it as stupid, they see it as wrong. It's bigoted and intolerant. But disaster pursues sinners. They will get no satisfaction in the end. Now what makes the difference between these two results? These two vastly different results? We see it in verse 20. Proverbs wants to highlight that we are shaped by who we surround ourselves with. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And for each of us, we should consider who, who do we surround ourselves with? The first place we go when we read this verse, I think it's just to our friends. Who do, who do we associate with? Who, do, who are we regularly spending time with? But we should probably think a little bit beyond that because those aren't the only people that shape us. For many of us, we go to a workplace and we're shaped by the conversations that we have there. Those that we eat lunch with, 
those who might sit in the cubicle next to you, all kinds of different people speaking into your life. But it's not just that. We also live in this, this age of digital communication and, and mass media, and so it could be the shows and movies that you watch, the things that you're streaming, the people that you follow. Those who walk with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So are you a companion of fools? Are there areas in your life where you are being a companion of fools? Proverbs 13.20 warns us, you will suffer harm. Instead of being that companion of fools, walk with the wise. And those who walk with the wise will become wise and will receive the sweet reward of satisfied desires. So the first result for those who walk with the wise is that, that other people will think well of them. Second result is that their desires will be fulfilled. They will be satisfied. And third, that highlights in this text, is, is that walking in wisdom results in good for others. We already saw this in verse 17, how a, a faithful envoy, a faithful messenger brings healing. But Solomon picks up this idea again in verse 22. I'm going to read from verse 22 to 25. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I think both fathers and sons need to hear that verse. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Now here in verse 22, we see that those who are wise, they store up what is good, and it's passed on. It's passed on to their children, but not only to their children. It's passed on to their children's children, their grandchildren. They leave a legacy of riches for those who come after them. What a, a sweet legacy to live, leave. In verse 24, Solomon turns to how we relate to our children. If we love them, then we will discipline them. If we love them, we will rebuke them and correct them. Now, why is this loving? Why is it love to discipline, to not spare the rod? Because the wise knows the path to life. The path to riches, the path to satisfaction is not found in, in following your heart, in doing whatever you want to do. It's found in living in harmony with God's good order. It's found in listening, in receiving, in walking in the fear of the Lord. Now verse 23 is, is surprising, but it should be a comfort to us. On the one hand, it teaches us that the Lord provides enough for all that we need. The ground, the ground that lies fallow, that is, the unseeded land, would yield much food. It's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't. Why not? It doesn't because of injustice. And this is, this is not a theme that's a prominent role in Proverbs. It comes up a lot more in Job and Ecclesiastes. But it's here in Proverbs as well. All is not as it should be. All is not as it one day will be. And we might read Proverbs and come across these promises of goodness and blessing and reward and flourishing in a future and think, that's not how it has worked in my life. 
But we live in a world of injustice, of wrongs, of disappointments, of failure, of decay, of death. We've been reminded of that today. It's often an upside-down world that we're confronted with, a world where it seems like the good guys lose and the bad guys win. This is, this is where we are. Injustice is a reality. But for all those who hope in Christ, oh, what a hope we have this morning and every morning. Because when, even when our souls are downcast, even when it seems like as we sang, in a mighty, I was really affected as we sang A Mighty Fortress. A Mighty Fortress ends with this, the first verse ends with the fact that on earth there is none equal to the devil. On earth is not his equal. That's, where, that's, that's what we sing. It's kind of like, ooh. But there is a man on our side. The right man on our side. Christ Jesus is on our side. From age to age, he is the same. And one little word shall fell that tyrant. Praise God. One little word will knock him out. This is the hope that we have. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of sadness, when we're dismayed. Because even when our souls are bowed down within us, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. So even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because God is with us. And brothers and sisters, if God is with us and if God is for us, who can be against us? While the belly of the wicked will only ever suffer want, will only face longings and desires unfulfilled. Longings that are never satisfied. Hopes that are never realized. We praise God for the future of the righteous. For the future of the wise. Those who walk in, the wise, walk in wisdom. Because the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. And how do we get in on this? By listening to God in his word by listening to the judgment that it speaks about us, every one of us deserves to die. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there is hope this morning in Jesus Christ in turning to Him. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to those who find their lives in Him. So may we look to Him, may we desire Him, may we have lives and minds, hearts that are shaped by the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Oh God, You are our God. May we earnestly seek You. May we thirst for You and faint for You as if we're in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Lord, give us grace to look upon You in your house, beholding your power and glory. And may we know that your steadfast love is better than life. May we praise you with the words of our mouths. May our souls be satisfied in you as with fat and rich food.
and our mouths praise you with joyful lips as we remember you upon our beds, as we meditate on you in the watches of the night, when we're in places of, of darkness and we confront injustice, Lord, give us grace to know your steadfast love and to sing for joy. Thank you for the hope, the future that we have in you. For you are coming again. Christ, our life, will appear, and then we also will appear with him in glory. We praise your great and awesome name. Amen.